When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Glamorous Trash. Today we are book clubbing a real doozy of a memoir. It is 2024, it is an election year, and we're recapping a book today that is gonna give us some insight for what's to come. And as is my favorite thing on this podcast, my favorite way to go into dark and rough subjects is via a female memoir. And this memoir, I knew it was gonna be wild. I'm so excited to talk about it. If you don't know who Kimberly Guilfoyle is, let me tell you. So the memoir is titled Making the Case, published in 2015, notably a year before the 2016 election where Trump is elected. Kimberly Guilfoyle was most famous for being a Fox News host. And she was on a ton of stuff, but I really think of her from this show on Fox called The Five. And what was always so interesting about her story is that she used to be married to Gavin Newsom, who is the current governor of California. Sometimes people think he's going to run for president. He's a huge, huge Democrat. And Kimberly, as we know, is a huge Republican. And she was with Gavin, and then she divorces him and goes to Fox News. And it's always been this wildly interesting thing about her. However, now she is engaged to none other than Donald Trump Jr. Donald Trump Jr., you guys, they're engaged. And maybe now you're thinking to yourself, ooh, I know who this person is. She is also a huge part of the Trump campaign, the Trump business. He sends her out to do wild speeches on his behalf. We're going to play one to start this episode. And we might be seeing her quite a lot this year. So I was really excited to dive into this book when my guest chose it. I also just have to give a little more backstory to say that when I was prepping to work on the first Jon Stewart show, like I said, the way I find an end to tough subjects sometimes is via female memoirs. And so I read all of the Fox News hosts who had memoirs. So I read Gretchen Carlson's. I read Melissa Francis, who used to also be a little uh, child actor on Little House of the Prairie. And reading those women's memoirs really helped me get inside Fox News. And also there were things I loved in those memoirs, things that I hated, but it was it was such a fun ride. And so I was really excited to do this ride again with Kimberly Guilfoyle because I think it's a great way to prep for the year, see what's coming. And her story has some twists and turns. I will post pictures and context and all kinds of things on the Patreon if you want to dive into it later. But for now, let's get to the absolutely unhinged speech that she gave on behalf of Donald Trump in 2021. Stand for an American president who is fearless, who believes in you, and who loves this country and will fight for her. 
President Trump is the leader who will rebuild the promise of America and ensure that every citizen can realize their American dream. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Our guest today is the host of Corporate Gossip, the business podcast for gossip lovers. Corporate Gossip covers all the juicy Wall Street scandals from Enron to Peloton as the host dusts off her CPA and accounts for the unscrupulous and outrageous behavior in the C-suite. When she's not talking shit about CEOs, she's thinking about the great loves of her life, her dog Sandy and Jimmy Carter. Please welcome Becca Platsky. Chelsea, I'm so excited to be here. This one is gonna be so goddamn juicy. I'm so excited to talk about it. Okay, so Becca, you are a corporate business political expert. So we knew that we were gonna do like a business lady book. I did one of these last year, I did Sophia Amoroso's and it was mm -hmm. so much fun. So what led you to Kimberly's book of all of our gorgeous options? To be honest, I didn't know too much about her before the infamous, the best is yet to come speech. Yeah, that crazy speech. It is a scary speech. Oh. It's fascinating. I couldn't believe that somebody would get on stage and act that way. I thought, who is this woman? You're absolutely right. It sounded like a very early version of ChatGPT. Or like she yes. was doing some annual review. Here's all the great yeah. things I did and here's how I did them. But with a very a level of specific detail that I did not want to read. Yeah, absolutely. And it weirdly explains why she gave that speech like that. Like the whole thing is like, say your point passionately with energy. And I was like, oof, she took that a little too far. Also that famous speech, I don't know if you know this, the, the crowd was mostly empty because of the pandemic. So she gave this speech to almost no one. <laughs> well, you could hear the echo. Yeah, like shouting like that in a room to no one. It was incredible. So before we dive in more, I introduced all my guests on the podcast with the story of how we first met. And this is actually gonna be one of my favorite How We First Met stories ever. So I'm gonna start us, but please jump in because I don't even know if you know how I saw this story. So, <laughs> so I was looking for podcast recommendations and someone said, listen to Corporate Gossip. It's like all these incredible business stories and CEOs, but like told in a really fun way. And I was trying to clean my house, which I'm terrible at. So I was doing it for like seven hours and I listened to so many episodes of your podcast. And I was like, I love this podcast. I love this girl. Who is she? And I went to the show notes, your Instagram handle and your TikTok handle is Night Toast. Yes. And I was like, I gotta go follow Night Toast. And I just clicked the link and just clicked follow at being like, you know, the content will now come up to my feed. And I get a message from Night Toast and it's like, hey, Chelsea. And I was like, huh, that's a really, I guess they greet all their followers. And I was like, I love your podcast. And then Night Toast wrote me again. And I was like, they're talking to me like, they know me. And I oh. was like, I gotta go. Uh, like, who is this? And I go and look at the page and I was like, wait a minute. I know this woman. Her name is Becca. And we had one epic game night two years ago in the Catskills where mutual friends put us in an Airbnb together and we like played the game Blockbuster for like three hours. I remember. Never, re <laughs> never really, we didn't get to know each other. We were just playing no. this game. It was so fun. You left. I was like, best night ever. And two years later, I'm like, I love your podcast. That's so funny. Yes. And we met another guest on your pod. I think a mutual friend, Casey Balsham. Yeah. Amazing Casey. I, that was such a fun night. We were up in the sticks of upstate New York 
And yeah. yeah, I just, I loved you. I thought you were great. And so I was thrilled when you followed me and I was like, this is perfect. All right. So getting into the book, you and I both noticed something separately, which I really enjoyed. I was reading the book and I started making notes like, what happened to her in 2015 when this book came out? Because this book is not reflective of the woman we know today, even if it was a terrible ghostwriter writing it about her. I was like, they're writing about someone else. Like something changed. Obviously we know what changed in 2016, but something with her in her changed. And then you sent me these incredible emails. It honestly was a peek into why your podcast is so incredible. You sent me these emails and you were like, hey, I've gone through all of her Getty images. Here's all the highlights. Here's my commentary. Here's the quotes. And I think the light goes out in her eyes in 2015 and she changes. And I was like, oh my God, I've been feeling that too. And so that's the case I feel like you and I have to crack in this episode. This book was so interesting because of what wasn't in it. And I kept yeah. thinking like, I want to read the memoir she writes in 10 years. And I really would read that unironically because I Absolutely. really want to know what happened. Yeah, something, something bad happened. I have a guess, but it's like this person is so different. So just to start... <laughs> I'm gonna say Sophia Amoroso's girl boss book is worse and more problematic than Kimberly Guilfoy. That's shocking. I know. <laughs> this book, I will say, this book doesn't take a ton of risks. Yeah, it's not taking a lot of swings. But even so, like I found her sometimes being a moderate, starting with the fact that the book starts with a Winston Churchill quote. The Winston Churchill quote popped out of me right away because I just knew yeah. this book was going to be full of self-aggrandizement, not a lick of self-exploration, zero, you know, thinking maybe I could have done this better. In fact, everything she did was the best it's ever done. was perfect. Done. From modeling <laughs> to being a first lady to being on Fox, she, she was perfect. To working at a deli to oh, babysitting whoa. kids, everything was perfect. I forgot she made her boss a salami sandwich. I, so you sent to me the, among the gems, you were like, hey, here's a video of her assistant 15 minutes and 30 seconds in saying I've never witnessed someone eat more salami in my life. And then you sent me 19 other references of her on air being like, I love salami. My favorite quote in the book is, and I'll find it. Oh, here it is. To say I love salami is a gross understatement. <laughs> she loves salami, man. It's her fucking thing. Well, and then in the introduction, it gets bad. She said, back in the days when I was a deputy district attorney in Los Angeles, and before I became an ADA in the San Francisco district attorney's office, I was known as the Hurricane. The nickname was a nod to Reuben Hurricane Carter, the boxer who literally knew how to fight for his rights in and out of the ring. I said, no, not the black boxer who had to fight for racial rights. Like, are you serious? And she was. And then she just goes on to be like, I was the hurricane just as great as this man. You can tell, especially in those early pictures and in those early interviews of her, she absolutely is a super high achiever. I don't doubt that she's really smart. The case yeah. that she talks about, the dog mauling case, it was a really high profile case that somebody her age probably wouldn't have gotten had she not been so aggressive. And so that's what yeah. I see in her early years is she really is just a super high achiever who's not afraid. Now, I worry, again, we're, like we're going to talk about something changed. And she kind of yeah. had the Mojo Dojo Casa House moment where she realized maybe women can't have it all. Yeah. And maybe I should imprison them with my words and yeah. I'll get a raise. 
I agree. And I, there's something, you have to talk me out of this because there's something a little bit wrong with me in that, like you, I love business books. A part of me loves them. They're like really, I don't know, blunt self-help books. And so when she was talking about like working hard and all that stuff, I'm going to call out some things, but there were a few times where I was like, nice. This is awesome advice. And I had to be like, wait a minute, Chelsea, what's wrong with you? But some of it I thought was really good. And I want to call out specifics. I'm not going to talk you out of it because I actually wrote down because I was so surprised. I was like, this is yeah. actually good advice. I would say it, it's maybe 500 words of good advice in this 200 page book, but it's there. It is there. It is there, particularly the part of like how she gets into the district attorney's office and like becomes an attorney. So then second page Later, when I served as First Lady of San Francisco, having been married to the former mayor of the city and current lieutenant governor of California, Gavin Newsom, my role was to champion the rights of all the city's citizens. I was really surprised that she did not bury her marriage to Gavin. In fact, it's all over the book. And he's a very famous Democrat. He's a Democratic mayor in one of the most liberal cities in the country. Yeah, and she's like, he's the best. <laughs> She talks very highly of both of her ex-husbands, um, although at this point, you know, she wouldn't be with DJ TJ. But it's interesting. Gavin Newsom has said that the person he sees now is unrecognizable from the person he knew when they were married. But it's clear that they really stood by each other's side, even when she goes to Fox News. And then again, something changes. You know, he cheated on her with his campaign advisor's wife. Wait, <laughs> sorry, that's not in the book. It's, it's not in the book. What? Yeah. So what is this handshake deal? She does not seem chill to me in that way. Like, I feel like she threw a shoe at him, at her. Like, she doesn't seem chill, but it's like, because she cares so much about climbing and networking, it's almost as if she was like, I won't talk about this if you support my career. I believe that. It might be just a politician thing. Like, she understands yeah. that in order to live in this world, you need to know who your enemies are and be really consistent about the way you talk about them and know who your quote-unquote friends are and be consistent about the way you talk about them. So even though her first marriage ended in divorce and he cheated on her with somebody who was in his inner circle, that's not mentioned. I did not know that. And like, again, I'm, I'm kind of back to this respect slash scared feeling I have about her, which is like, yeah, to be cheated on in the worst way by your husband, but then tuck it inside and go to the Getty events and shake hands. You know, it's like Hillary Clinton and Bill. It's like, what must be done must be done. Yes. And I'm like, I bow down, but also like, stay away from me. <laughs> so let's do her childhood chapters because there's really not much. So the big picture is that her mom dies when she is 11 years old from leukemia. And pretty instantly becomes the new mom and maid and housekeeper. It's framed as like a really positive thing, but when you're reading it, you're like, wait, I'm sorry, you're 11 and now you raise the children because you're the lady. And it's just constantly working in a way I respected, like getting jobs, becomes a model, like parents her younger sibling, like goes to college, takes care of her dad, like clean, <laughs> cleans the kitchen. It was a lot. Mm -hmm. And this is a quote I want to read. She's talking about her mom's death. And she said, what I have discovered since losing my mother is that you can always advocate for the best health care possible, but death is not something you can negotiate. A case, however, can be made for virtually everything, all caps, in life. I wrote, villain origin story. 
I think the parentification of her is so interesting and something I didn't think about. As a former parentified child, we really are very controlling. We think we know everything. That's something, you know, we need to work on, especially as an older daughter. But I'm not surprised at all. I'm sure, you know, in her family between her dad and her brother, she was probably the authority between the two of them. Absolutely. And I think taking her mom's spot, we don't read a lot about the grieving. And then just that line of like, death is not something you can negotiate, but you can make cases for things. And it's like, oh, you can't bring back your mom. So now your book is called Making the Case. Mm -hmm. And then even later, when her dad eventually dies, she insinuates that he made the case to God to live longer beyond his prognosis, which is like, if somebody dies before their prognosis, did they not make the case enough? Did they not make the case yeah. well enough? <laughs> They're like, absolutely. And it, I mean, that that is also, I think, a failure of these business books where it's like, what's your hook? Making the case, thread it through everything. Now she's talking about like her mom's death being about making the case. And you're like, okay, we've gone too far. She shoehorns it into every section. And then I love at the end of most of these chapters, she'll be like, so the reason I mentioned all of these stories is because it's important to make the case. <laughs> like, show, don't tell, Kim. Like, we get it. <laughs> yeah, nice try. Okay, so her dad is Irish and her mom is Puerto Rican. And being Latina, like, is a huge part of her life, even though <laughs> you did send me a video where she's <laughs> like, I'm Kimberly Guilfoyle, and dancing salsa is, like, so important to me. And I don't know how they did it, but they then played a five-minute video where she does not move once. Like, this shit. it's like a whole video about dancing, and other people are dancing. Every time they cut to her, she's just standing there, like, step-touching. She, she does a dip. Yeah, she gets dipped. And then she basically has this meteoric rise as an attorney, and she says she has an undefeated record in the court of law. She also said she, like, tried her first case as an intern. I texted some of my lawyer friends. I was like, is this even possible? They're like, it's possible, but it's rare. I don't necessarily trust everything she says in terms of her own resume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, and I was like, interesting, undefeated, then leaves it all to be Gavin Newsom's wife and be like the first lady of San Francisco. Like, I would have liked to see her life where she stayed on that path. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. And I do think she would be like crushing the law right now. So then she talks about things where she's like, I can beat the system. Here is how I did it. And it's really good advice, but I was like, oh, here's the bootstraps of it all. Like, if I can, you can. Like, it's not the system, it's your willpower. Because she, again, like, child of immigrants, like, Latina, first-generation American, had no connections, like, becomes this star. And I found myself agreeing with her business advice here, like, her views on internships, which I want to read oh my on God. page 16. I hope you're going <laughs> to the quote that I was thinking of. Okay, wait, wait. I want you to read whatever you're thinking of. Okay, if I don't... hang on. Enough about me. This is when she's talking about how internships are so important. Did you know that many other public figures got their start this way too? For instance, my friend and colleague, Anderson Cooper, interned for the CIA during his college years before starting his career. Oh, I didn't realize how that, how Ander, Anderson Cooper Vanderbilt got his start. Can I tell you, that is my favorite dinner party game to mention that Anderson Cooper's real last name is Vanderbilt. There's always one person who doesn't know it used to be me. Blew my fucking mind. He's, he's a Vanderbilt. He's the 
the Nepo baby poster child. And he won't even deny it, right? Like, I mean, no. it's fine. But it's like to use that as an example. And Unbelievable. And nobody's going to look it up. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know. So I think she was like, ha ha. Uh, but also why? There's other people who had internships. Unless, unless this is the ultimate shade to her liberal friend, oh. Anderson Cooper. I don't know. I don't know. That would be genius. And then on the next page, she's quoting Steve Jobs, who said, I never found anybody that didn't want to help me if I asked them for help. I said, this is why I'm not doing better <laughs> because I'm so afraid to ask for help. And all these successful people, they just go up to the CEO and they're like, hey, can I have this? And usually you're like, sure. Yeah, I mean. Sure, Kimberly Guilfoyle, become an attorney, even though you're an intern. I don't. When looking at young pictures of her, I don't doubt that she got a lot of the help she asked for. Like, she's at all. She's super smart. She works she's as a gorgeous. model. She's, she's gorgeous. She's personable. In those pictures, early pictures, she seemed really sweet. She seemed like, honest. I'm shocked I'm saying this. She seemed like someone I could hang with for a night. Like, oh, it yeah. just seemed great. I'm not surprised. Like, I'm sure any, like, powerful person would be like, yeah, come join me. You seem like a good hang. Oh, yeah. I mean... The girl who works herself to the bone and has an after-school job at a deli as the manager at 15, like, that's my BFF. Like, we, we're working the salami counter together. Yeah. So I read an article, and this is, like, early inklings of this. She really is gorgeous when she's young. And the thing is, like, she even mentions, it's kind of annoying that, yes, I did laundry modeling to, to get me through college, but I'm kind of annoyed. And I'll find a quote for you. I have it somewhere in here. The reporter says she's whip-smart. And there's no denying that she's a gorgeous woman. And it's like, it's nobody can describe her accolades without also tacking on that she was a lingerie model. So I'm Which sure is she's fucking annoying. starting to yeah. associate these two things together early on in her career. Yeah, absolutely. And also just like, why are you discrediting all my other stuff? Because she, it, she's clearly brilliant. Which is crazy to say about this woman I don't like. But she is. It's just fact. Okay, chapter two titled dressing for the part she wrote oh you know those days when you poke your head into the closet and just want to shout rescue me i said this is actually kind of fun sure whatever I, i've never heard it i want to use it in every every single okay. day I, I, I was like is this an original rescue me <laughs> oh i thought it was dress use me but you're right it's dress i think me. it's like to the tune of rescue me rescue yes. me no or, or dress me actually rescue me is amazing <laughs> Next time I see an incredible outfit, I'm going to be like, excuse me. So good. I wrote, yeah, all the time, Kimbo. So relatable. Yeah. But what is this? One joke in the whole book? It's so weird. Well, you know what's funny is later on she says, normally, you know, when tensions are high on the vibe, I can always crack a joke. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I it. I also, I believe that's Greg Gutfield's thing. Um yeah, well, speaking of the five, on page 42, she starts lying for pages. And I just wonder why. She's just talking about the dress code at Fox. And it's just pages about how it's honoring the values of the events we report on and the news and being American. And it's like, dude, there is a full-on dress code that women show legs. It's why the tables are clear and they don't have anything in front of them. You all have to wear high heels and primary jewel tones. Like, Roger Ailes says, show me leg or do not talky-talky. And she just pretends, she's like, we like dressing like this. Watching the movie Bombshell, where you kind of get to see the environment that Roger Ailes created at Fox that normalized a lot of this, is really shocking. Absolutely. I mean, he yeah. famously 
you know, had women in his office spinning around for him saying, it's a visual medium. I need to make sure you look the part. Now, meanwhile, if you look at pictures of the five, you have these women in tight dresses with cleavage out, legs out, and next to them are like the slobbiest dudes I've ever seen with hair all messed up. And I mean, wrinkled ties that reach their nutsack. They're so long. Yeah. It's crazy that she's not noting that or, or like you said, she's just lying. Right. And she's giving the company line. Just own it. Just be like, hey, guess what? Like, I don't know. Be your terrifying self. Women's looks sell and I'm selling and I like it and I'm proud of it. I love wearing high heels, whatever you want to say, but don't say it's like for funsies and there is no legs dress code. Like, come on. And I mean, even just to go on, she talks about, she starts to name, and Kimberly loves listing things in this book. That's her favorite way to- Loves a full name drop. A full name drop and a list. Oh, this is this person, and this is, I copied and pasted their entire resume, uh, so I can hit my word count. But she starts talking about these women and men that she worked with. My 2024 resolution was to research less, but I've been completely failing. So this whole list of women, (laughs) the majority- You looked up everyone? Almost everyone. The vast majority of the women- that she references have suits against Fox for sexual harassment. The vast majority of the men that she references have been fired from Fox. And I have, I have like a, a list of them later. Every one of her mentors is ultimately fired or has a settlement. And this is where you kind of see she's putting herself in an environment where a lot of really egregious behavior is normalized. And the one thing I think about Kimberly Guilfoyle is it's very clear she didn't change overnight. And I see this all the time in fraud, where you have very normal people who are suddenly committing fraud that they could have never imagined. And it's because it just happens slowly and slowly and slowly, and you want the next promotion. And ultimately, like, we're humans and we want to help others. So Kimberly Guilfoyle's thinking, I'll help Roger Ailes if he wants me to be the legs and he wants, you know, to get those ratings. Like, that's good. I I like him. He's He's a mentor. I know he does crummy things, but that's okay. And then it's just step after step after step until suddenly you're a person you don't recognize. And this is like being groomed is being groomed. It is totally being yeah. groomed. And that's why I go back and forth with her. Is she a monster or was she brainwashed? I don't know. I, I really go back and forth. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come right back into the episode. Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir 
but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, let's dive back into the episode. Yeah, I I totally hear that. And you sent me all these photos and you were like, she's always in the leg chair. There's chairs on the end of the five table and she is always positioned towards the camera behind any sort of desk. So it's like legs, legs, legs. So she was like the number one serving for Roger Ailes in that Mm -hmm. moment. But then she got me back a, a page later. She said, why do we scrutinize what women wear? Even while she was fulfilling such an important role as Secretary of State, people spent way too much time commenting on Hillary Clinton's pantsuits. How will you fare under similar scrutiny? I said, are you defending Hillary Clinton in your 2015 book? Like, one, this is not the Kimberly I know now. And two, I do know it's that type of, like, feminism where, like, I I put it in the book when it works for me. Mm. <laughs> Anytime it doesn't, I set it on fire. But I don't even think she would mention Hillary in a positive way in a book written today. What do you think? Oh, gosh. There's a part of me thinking that's a little inkling of being like, it is kind of wrong that we objectify women and then we get mad when they wear pantsuits versus like, you know, dresses or whatnot. No, she's correct. She's correct. Like the part that I don't like is just like, at any point in time, she will then like fight against, you know, something that's positive for women if if it's a party line. But yeah, she's correct in this point. Like, why are you scrutinizing, you know, us with boobs and legs, but you're also scrutinizing her in pantsuits? I think it's totally correct. I'm just surprised she would even write Hillary's name in her book. Oh, Obama's in it too. Although oh, kind I know. Of it's like in, in a shady way. Obama's in a shady way. Yeah. Hillary, she's like standing up for her. And I was I like, know. interesting. Interesting, interesting. Maybe she so, relates to Hillary. I mean, they're in, I know. they were in some points in a similar position. I got to imagine too, they're in the same circles in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of goes to that. I think that's also what this book was calling out to me of like, it was still in the political era where both sides could play moderate and get away with it. And I think this is the side people are like, remember when you used to have a heated debate or reach across the aisle and blah, blah, blah. And I do think that's gone. Like, I think Hillary and Kimberly were probably at a cocktail party once mm-hmm. and clinked glasses. Both of them being like, hello. <laughs> you think it was Hillary, Kimberly, Ramona Singer, and Sony Morgan? <laughs> oh, I, I wrote this down. Okay, so Becca sent me, again, just the most amazing research. And you sent me these photos of Kimberly at all these fashion shows in the front row with Tinsley Mortimer, who is Real Housewives in New York City. And you said... Could the real housewives have saved Kimberly if she had just been cast? And I like stood up. I was like, yes, yes. 
Kimberly follows the money. Had she been on Real Housewives, she might be like campaigning for Elizabeth Warren, for all we know. If you listen to her, she really reminds me of the same exact way that Bethany Frankel talks in that very like sped up but confident way. I have to imagine there's pictures of her with Tinsley many times, Ramona, multiple times Sonia. Yeah, I was saying it's like Roni Pokemon. She's everywhere around that time. It must have been like season three or something of of Real Housewives. I have to imagine she's in some casting conversation at some point. Oh, absolutely. Also, Tinsley Mortimer is just, she needs to give us her memoir. Comes from so much money. She's like in the crossfires of like all this drama that you don't even realize Tinsley was like standing next to Paris Hilton in all these like important moments in history and then is on Roni and then leaves in the most epic way. And at one point seemed to have been friends with Kimberly. Good. There's multiple pictures of them together. Multiple. Like close oh, yeah. Friends. Absolutely. But she she follows the money. Kind of like you said, like the part of her where you don't think she's a monster is that I, I don't even know if she believed in Fox News's values at one point because she wrote, she's not an attorney anymore. I think she and Gavin are getting divorced and she writes, I worked it out so that I was on ABC in the morning from 9 a.m. until after the West Coast re-airs were done, usually around noon. That left me free to do my court TV show called Both Sides between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. I also was exclusive to CNN for primetime, working for both Anderson Cooper at 7 p.m. and Larry King at 9 p.m. I had the whole day and evening of news covered. I'm immeasurably grateful to Anderson Cooper and Larry King for their support to everyone who worked with me to help make this happen. Wherever they paid, she showed up and talked. And so I believe, like, had CNN kept that exclusive, like, she wouldn't have been on The Five. She wouldn't have been like, no, my values. Yeah. Again, that's another thing I'd like to know. Like, was she spending a ton of money? I mean, she's at all these parties. I have to imagine she's getting paid decently. I don't know what a contributor makes. And also, I think at this point, she's married to a furniture heir. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's not clear to me. Maybe it's just proximity to power. I, I I think she loves power. Yeah. Which I actually respect about her. I think she's like, where's the power? I go there. Yeah. <laughs> Tinsley has it. What's up, Tinsley? Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. And I think she just was like, oh, I can be on air. I'll do all the channels until they stop me. Because her point at the time was that they didn't let you perform cross-platform like that. And she worked it out so that she could. Yeah. Which, yeah, making the case. So lots of vague, adv- vague advice, bios of people. She's just like, here's a piece of advice. Take the jeers in stride. You're like, okay, <laughs> thanks, Magna, on my fridge that I will throw away. And then she wrote this on page 94. One final word on knowing and expressing your worth for all you awesome women who are currently stay-at-home moms. It used to be difficult for those of you who do unpaid work to state your value in terms other people readily understand. But now salary.com has developed a salary calculator called the Mom Salary Wizard. The names of these things, my God, they need a helping hand. But she said, you might find this incredibly useful. You can translate the intangible contributions you make to life every day into an easily quantifiable expression. Did you know the average stay-at-home mom works more than twice the traditional 40-hour work week? And she goes on and on and I'm like, This is the woman who has fought against mothers getting maternity leave and insurance and like being seen as participants in their household. How is this paragraph in here? Did the intern slip it in knowing Kimberly was never going to check the book? So this is where it's very confusing to me because it feels like she can advocate for herself. But when others try to advocate for themselves, it's not okay with her. So, for example, another similar one was when she's talking about the wage gap. 
And she's like, a lot of people want laws to govern fair pay for men and women, but that's just unnecessary government intervention and it's going to cost companies more. And I'm like, really? It sounds like women are advocating for themselves, which is the whole point of this book. But when it doesn't align with what you want, it's not okay. You explicitly Absolutely. say, don't do it. I'm slowly coming to terms over the course of this podcast. If you have listened to every episode, you've been on this journey with me, if not welcome, that Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In was a, just a full Republican book. Now, I knew it was bad, but like, I am now at the place where I'm like, I think it was fascism. <laughs> <laughs> like, this book was so bad for us. <laughs> She said, I love something Sheryl Sandberg once said. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask for a seat. Just get on. In those situations, even listening to your second brain is too much thinking. Just go for it. Don't let fear talk you out of a serendipitous experience you've probably been training for all along. Just kind of back to like, it's your fault. It's your fault. Whatever happens to you is like your fault for being like a weak little lady. I was in an interview once at a company that had that plastered on the wall. And I was like, okay, yep, I know the environment. Because really what it's saying is, don't worry if you're not making enough money. Don't worry if they put you in a position that's below where you should be. If it's abusive or traumatic for you, get yeah. on the rocket ship. We yeah. got that VC money, baby. Money's coming in debt. Don't worry about it. We'll pay you on the back end. It's yeah, don't worry about it if you're the only woman in the room. Don't yeah. worry about it if there's no people of color here. Don't worry about it. Get on the rocket ship. Yeah, we're going. We're going to the space. <laughs> Chelsea, I'm curious if you noticed the way that she t addressed women in this book. I'll give you an example. She says something along the lines of, if you're worried about getting the job because you're a woman, you know, why don't you tell them how good you are at collaborating, which is one of the female workers' greatest strengths. Did you get the sense yeah. of like <laughs> condescension? I wrote here, I'm like, I think she thinks women are dumb. Yeah, well, it's also in other places too, where she's like, you can't ask your girlfriends for advice about boys. They're not boys. You got to ask men like my dad and my brother and my guy friends because girls my, are stupid and they don't know anything. And my guy colleagues, which notoriously you should obviously t talk about your relationship problems with male colleagues. Yeah. Ask Sean Hannity what you should do. He'll have a great idea. Yeah. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly will have a loofah for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. Absolutely. She definitely she is. It's just too many of them that I personally know some of them, women who are like, I deserve to succeed and I am woman, therefore feminist. But all you other bitches are idiots. <laughs> like, you're like, hmm. I mean, there's other times where she talks about how great some of her colleagues are. And she goes, I would put them in a conversation or an argument with a man and have them go toe to toe and watch out for the man. I'm like, okay, I got it. Like your standard for what is smart and what is high achieving is a man. And if a woman can reach that standard, then she's good on your books. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Also, a lot of her examples of why the women are cool will be like, oh, she helped me decorate my office. And then she'll be like, Eric Bowling is a genius. She, she wrote this though about friendship. It's a whole like chapter on vague friendship advice. And she said, <laughs> When I read or hear about toxic friendships, I'm sad for people who don't know what having loving friends is like. I don't believe in spending time with people who are harmful to me emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, or financially. And all I could think is, well, you're engaged to Don Trump Jr. <laughs> you literally surround yourself with people who are, you know, convicting sexual <laughs> harassers. 
Well, also, you mentioned to me that she was famously cut out of a Tiffany Trump wedding photo, and I did not know this. Will you tell me this story? Because that sounds like toxic friendship to it, me, Kimberly. It, it, that's why I think Roni would have saved her. She needed a group of girlfriends, but there was some wedding. Oh, she could have thrown down. She, I think she was at um, Tiffany Trump's wedding, and there's a famous picture because everybody's in kind of pale blue. It, you know, Ivanka and Tiffany and Marla Maples and whatnot, and she's in black, and she's on the corner, and when Ivanka posted it, she's not in it. She's she cropped her out. Blatantly. I mean, she pulled an old crop out. And a lot of people noted it because, you know, the drama on the page six at the time was that she's not really getting on with the Trumps as she would have you think. And I do think she really wants to be Ivanka. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I... Listen, let me just take a tangent here to be an absolute monster and say that... Weddings are subjective, okay? But Tiffany Trump's wedding was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And had it been beautiful, I would have been like gorgeous. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I posted about my Instagram stories for days. It was like someone broke in and was like, yeah, I'll design your wedding. And then like sought revenge through these mismatched, insanely colored like floral archways. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Here's the picture. I'll, I'll put them on the Patreon. This is the page six where yeah, they cut her it. out. And you can see, I mean, she definitely doesn't match the aesthetic. Yeah, but is that like they didn't tell her the dress That's code? That's what I was worried about. I'm like, did they yeah. do that on purpose? Because she probably wore black thinking it was safe. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we're cracking cases as I we know. go through this. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so she starts name checking Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity is like amazing dudes. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. She says something like, I can't relate to people who have toxic friendships or I feel so bad oh, right. for people with toxic friendships as if she's never experienced that. Another one of my favorite quotes in the book when she's talking about her modeling career and she says, some girls really struggled with rejection. I never had that problem. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, why are you writing the book? So you did everything perfectly. Yeah, exactly. You've never had to. Yeah, no. absolutely. She then, she's just shouting random people out and I think my favorite one is the Megan Kelly one. I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, Megyn Kelly doesn't even try to be partisan. Isn't that cool? And then she reminds me of one of my favorite Megyn Kelly facts, which I always forget. Her children are named Yates, Yardley, and Thatcher. <laughs> what if those kids turn out to be like radical progressives? Like they're going to have to change their name. <laughs> Yates, Yates, Yardley, and Thatcher. I mean, it is just like stupefying when you take it in. And then page 124, she says both of her marriages were amicable. The divorce. I said, how? How? You? No. What? Is she really? How? I mean, I think there's no way the Gavin Newsom one was amicable, just given the fact that there's that cheating issue. But I mean, like, they really did give nice quotes about each other for a decade. I know. Until recently. Yeah, re now she's like, he'll never be president. What a loser. But like, they really clasped hands for a long time. Again, the changing political climate, mm -hmm. it's like you can see it through her and Gavin's relationship. They could say nice things about each other, and now they can't. Now they have to be like, that person's the devil. Really yeah. wild. She also talks about her favorite Marilyn Monroe quote. Oh. She writes, Marilyn Monroe famously said, some things fall apart so that better things can fall together. And I played my favorite 
game on this podcast. I'm going to add it to the bingo. Take a drink. I said, no, she didn't. Marilyn Monroe didn't say that. There's no way. And I looked it up and they're like, no. <laughs> People say that she did, but she did not fact check any of this book. Like she just wrote no, things. No, of course not. <laughs> boop, boop, beep, boop. This is where I do have where she starts calling out her best friends. And then I have like tell what me. ended up happening to them. Okay. Yes, tell me. So this is on chapter five, working on a team. She should have just named this team together. Everyone achieves more. Like it's so freaking trite. <laughs> she talks about Eric Bowling is like a big brother to me. Here's what happened to him in September 2017. He was ousted from Fox News after the network conducted an independent investigation reporting that Bowling had sent unsolicited lewd photographs and text messages to three female colleagues. This is her brother. We're talking about Bob Beckel. What may not always show through is how kind, gentle and kind-hearted Bob Beckel is to us off-camera. He has a real sensitive side and a heart of gold, she says. Well, here's the truth. Beckel was fired in May 2017 amid claims that he had made racially insensitive remarks to a Black employee. Next yeah, one. Of course. Andrea Tantaros and I became friends when I first joined Fox. We bonded over our close relationship with our fathers. Well, Tantaros filed a lawsuit in 2016 claiming that she approached Fox News executives about Roger Ailes sexually harassing her in 2015. The allegations resulted first in her being demoted from the five and then her being taken off the air. Juan Williams, that. she says, is one of her most inspirational friends. Juan was fired in 2010 from NPR for making really shocking anti-Muslim uh, statements on The Bill O'Reilly Show. And she also speaks very highly of Bill O'Reilly, and we know what happens there. So that just gives you an idea of, like, her, her work environment at the time. That was an incredible rundown. What a team of Avengers. Just they're all, either all harassers or being harassed. That is so painful. And also Gavin's quote about her is that he says the Fox News culture got to her. And this is where you can really believe it. Ugh. I mean, really, like, she is this high achiever. And if you believe what's in Bombshell, which everybody who has been depicted in that movie says it's accurate, if not a little nice to Roger Ailes, then you would believe that in order to get a hosting position on that show, you have to do what Roger Ailes wants you to do, which oftentimes includes blatant sexual assault. Yeah. You go through it, you have to turn your back on it, you have to pretend you don't see it with others, you have to enact it on others, yeah. And that's where I'm like, oh God, I don't know, like, is this a cult? If you listen to Fox News, which I had to do for my job, like, oh yeah, you know, eight to, to 12 hours a day, because even when we were writing scripts, we had TVs all in our offices, because you were just always watching to see if something came up, and... They say the same thing over and over. And the messaging, it's like five messages said in different ways on loop. And then, you know, you get to the next half hour and the same messages start again. And if you watch the Jonestown documentary, that's also pretty key in the plan. Like you say the same thing over and over and over again. And this is my weird little personal story for this episode. When I was leaving the opposition, which was like now I was two and a half, three years into listening to Fox News all the time for my job. I went to like pack all my stuff to come to LA. I had three crank radios in my apartment. Three crank radios, Becca. Now, if you know what a crank radio is, you really only need one. It is for the doomsday apocalypse. And I had been listening to so much of this stuff. This little seed had come in my brain that was like, I think you're gonna need a crank radio to call people <laughs> when like, I don't know, the devil comes back via Obama. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was like, oh my God. And if you listen to that stuff a lot, like it really does get into you. 
And and look, I love going to a prepper store. There's one in Georgia that I love going to just because I think it's very interesting. I'm not going to pretend I wouldn't either. <laughs> I would absolutely go with my okay. cart. I'd try and get a membership like Costco. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's it's the mindset of it all. And it, again, it happens slowly. It doesn't happen all at once. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to pivot us real hard. Okay. <laughs> we get to the like general financial vagaries, which of all the advice in the book, this is the most wrong advice. But she starts talking about charge cards. And she also talks about credit cards. And she'd be like, always use a charge card, never use a credit card. First of all, I said, what about the points? But then again, I would look it up and I was like, charge card. She must have had to hit a word count, right? I mean, why would she just be like, let me explain to you very randomly about these three types of credit cards? (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. And and she does have to hit some sort of word count. I mean, maybe she's getting a kickback. Who knows? I don't know. If you go to kimsgold.com, that's her latest thing. Is she selling gold to boomers? Right, right. So this is all tracking. <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I'm shocked is, she didn't say, and you should get a couple nuggets and bury them in your backyard. <laughs> that is so nuts. Uh, I love when they pivot to selling gold. It's inevitable. They all end up being like, buy this gold brick. Okay, so then we're kind of in the run out of the book. It's just like a lot of vague success bullshit. They completely lose the making the case. Thread. She stops trying. The last yeah. three chapters, she didn't bring it up. <laughs> Not even trying to land the plane. She talks about how to care for your parents in their dying moments. I'm like, I feel like if I were in that position, I wouldn't pick up this book first. I would pick up a book specifically (laughs) about that. And I wasn't expecting to hear that in your book. Yeah, it was not even good advice what she was saying. It was tough. I want to read the very end. And then I want to make my case with you for what happened to her. This is our last paragraph. Both of my parents believed in paying blessings forward, and I hope that this book and all the advice contained in it is evidence of my belief in that philosophy as well. Of all the lessons they taught me, I am most grateful for this one. I really do want each and every person to know how to represent themselves as well as they possibly can and how to get what they want and need through planning, careful and thoughtful preparation, hard work, clear and effective communication, and perseverance. The more you practice these things, the more they will become second nature to you. The more you advocate for yourself and others, the sooner you'll become a full-fledged expert in making the case. I wish you every success in life and in the pursuit of paying that success forward. She also has not talked about paying the success forward until this paragraph. So it's new. It's a new thought. Yeah. Ends the book. And then one of the first people she thinks is Eric Bowling. And what happens after this book is that her and Eric Bowling share an assistant. That assistant goes on to sue them both for sexual harassment, including Kimberly Guilfoyle. I'm, I'm going to read a piece about the case. It says, according to a dozen well-informed sources familiar with the assistant's complaints, the assistant alleged that Guilfoyle, her direct supervisor, subjected her frequently to degrading, abusive, and sexually inappropriate behavior. Among other things, she said she was frequently required to work at Guilfoyle's apartment while the Fox News host displayed herself naked. And she was shown photographs of the genitalia of men whom Guilfoyle had sexual relations. The draft complaint also alleged that Guilfoyle spoke incessantly and luridly about her sex life and on one occasion demanded a massage of her bare thighs. Other times she said Guilfoyle told her to submit to a Fox employee's demands for sexual favors, encouraged her to sleep with wealthy and powerful men, asked her to critique her naked body, and demanded that she share a room with her on business trips. This is also the same assistant to Eric Bowling. She sues them successfully for $4 million. And this is when Kimberly is ousted from Fox News, which she had 
sold her soul for mm-hmm. and fought for all the horrible people there and made a lot of enemies. And so here's what I think happened. She gets pushed out of Fox News. That's where she sunk everything in. She has literally nowhere to go. She's burned every bridge, especially if she's like me at Fox. And the only person standing there is Don Jr. Being like, you're the hottest, prettiest, most amazing woman. And she goes, fuck it. It's Don Jr. (laughs) I got to follow the money. This is my only opportunity and a path forward. Goes full dark side becomes his girlfriend and is like, this is my last parachute and I'm doing it. And now she's like selling gold and on Trump's campaign. And that's what took the light out in her eyes. That's what I think. What do you think? I think that's accurate. The Getty images certainly support that. Her first picture with Don Jr. is two weeks after she was fired from books. Whoa. And how's the light in her eyes look? (laughs) How's the glow? This is on page six that they're confused why Don Jr., is with Kimberly Guilfoyle. They're like, I just don't see them together. I put pictures that I sent to you of them kissing. I don't see a spark. And you also have to remember, like, how good Fox was to Trump. And you have to wonder, yeah. was there some, like, look, this woman's done a lot for us. So she doesn't just date DJ TJ. She's a big part of their campaign. She's traveling around with them. She was paid $60,000 to get up on that dais on January 6th and give her speech. I agree with you. I think she, before this lawsuit, really did think that the money train at Fox was going to continue. Nobody ever thought that Roger Ailes was ever going to be ousted. Yeah, ever. absolutely. And certainly not the people around him who were closest to him, like Kimberly. Like People who were ousted were Gretchen Carlson, who stood up against yeah. him. Kimberly never did. So I think when he went down, it was a, a shock for her. Also, you are so right about how much they did for Trump's campaign and he doesn't have a lot of female figures to stand up in his campaign when he wants to do the fake like I'm for all women or we support women or my God, like Latinos. It's like, oh, it's Kimberly. Like she can fill this Kellyanne Conway pocket of a devil in a wig who says things like, and here's a direct quote. Kimberly said, Trump launches 1,800 small female businesses a day. Every day, 2,000 female businesses. Continuing absolutely commitment to not fact-checking at all. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like they need her. She needs them. But I kind of think, by the way, I just just love DJ TJ. I kind of think DJ TJ thinks he won the jackpot. I think he's like, this is a fucking babe on skis. And like, who would ever date me? I'm a fucking loser. I should be so lucky. That's... That's, that's I don't know. That's true. And there are pictures, again, in the Getty images of her and her ex-husband and him and his ex-wife. So they've been in each other's circle for a while. So I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if maybe he had a crush on her back in the day. She knew that. And then this is the first life draft that she sees because not only is she out at Fox News, but her network that she has been created has all been defamed. Yeah. She's oh, not yeah. going to go Plus- with Bill O'Reilly. Gavin, famously a handsome man, this Eric guy, the furniture heir, stunning, stunning. He designed the Peloton bike. You're shitting me. This is the Peloton designer is her ex-husband. Yes. Here's the thing. So you're like, okay, Gavin Newsom, Peloton model baby boy, Don Jr. Like one of these things doesn't belong. Scaramucci. Okay, that's, yeah, he belongs with... 
DJ TJ. Somebody asked her, like, hey, I, Gavin Newsom and DJ TJ, they don't have a lot in common. And she goes, well, they both have slicked back hair. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Also, she calls him his ju- her junior mint because he's so sweet, she says. Oh, my God, I'm going to throw up. What? <laughs> How dare you bring that knowledge into my brain? <laughs> oh, my God. And that hair quote you're talking about, she got them on the phone with each other. Oh, I imagine, yeah. obviously, it was like, you know, some political back channeling. But the quote she gave was, I bet they could swap hair products because they like slicking their hair back. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. Okay, Becca, we have come to the end where I do something every episode that I call the book till test. The first question, was the author vulnerable in the sharing of their truth? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't detect a smidge of self-inspection. My vacuum cleaner gives more vulnerability than Kimberly Guilfoyle did this book. You know what? Trump says build a wall. She did. She built a wall around her feelings and emotions and wrote this book. Okay. Second question. Was it entertaining to read? I have to be honest. I loved it. I really did. (laughs) I feel feel so bad. (laughs) I I really did. I read so much like heavy shit for my podcast and to just read just this blatant like just self-aggrandizement where I knew everything was bullshit. And I I just, I hooted and hollered the whole time. Same. I had a great fucking time. I love business books. I'm addicted. And also I love female memoirs, even when they're evil. And I love the Fox News women's memoirs. You always get a peek into their brain that's just, it's like going in someone's closet and their makeup products and they show you like the weird grimy things they use. And you're like, I love knowing this, even though it's a bad book. Yeah. <laughs> it's very bad. Say, just excuse me. <laughs> Dresc- <laughs> Drescue me. Drescue me. What are you wearing? Drescue me. Uh, what is that outfit? <laughs> Oh my God. Um, okay, final question. Did reading this book elevate your life in any way? 10 out of 10. Like I said, I mean, really. And I will say, like, it is fascinating. The things that are not written in this book, like, her life is interesting. And I'd love to study it. And I loved researching it. Kimberly Guilfoyle, if you're listening, write another memoir in about 10 years. And I'll read it. Call up Bravo. There is another option for yes. you. You do not have to end up with that family. I don't know if I wish for her a happy ending, but I certainly wish for her more time on my TV screen where she's not shilling out political quotes for Trump. I hope that she gets to a place where she's not exploiting people anymore and she's not being evil to people anymore. Yeah. She's a monster. She's a full-on monster. Yeah, I don't want that to go unsaid. Like, ultimately... We, we can't excuse any of her actions for the environment. I mean, this is why when people are in cults, like, they still get convicted of whatever cr- crime they commit in the cult. Like, it's not an excuse. But she is a monster. And I think we could learn a lot from her story. We could learn a lot about the ways that a really terrible work environment. I mean, I see this all the time in these crazy startups. We work is a great example. The things that people did there, you know, like you look at Firefest, you look at all these crazy environments that people do things that they would never imagine. And the best thing we can do is when they ultimately like flip and say, here's why I did it. Here's the influences. Like, this is what I learned. These are the things that could have protected me. I think a good group of girlfriends could have protected her from doing some of these things and ultimately protected her victims. That's what I want to hear. Tinsley. Tinsley, where were you, girl? Oh, Tins and her mom. (laughs) I rarely enjoy the points being made I mean, definitely not in political spheres and content that 
we are more similar than dissimilar. That was a very popular one in 2016 of like, we're all more alike than we are different. Like, how can we come together? I don't enjoy that. And I don't think that's like a correct way to like guide the country or like bring us together. However, she is such a monster and has done so many bad things. I love humanizing all of it. Not because I couldn't see past it, but because I want to see, like you said, how do you get there? What makes this happen? Like, what were your tragedies? What is your brain telling you every day? And it just makes something that feels senseless have some sense to it. How do you get up there on that podium and do that speech that we heard at the beginning of this episode? Like, this book kind of tells you how she got there and how she's been like running at the speed of light since her mom died at 11. Oh my God, it's like wicked. It's like yes. the villain origin story. How did they get there? It really is. I, I think she's a tragedy. She, she really is a tragedy. She could have done a lot. She really could have. And it's sad. Well, and I am also, I'm scared for us. I'm scared for this episode. We don't <laughs> know what 2024 is going to bring. We may be recording this mere months before she does some of the craziest shit we have ever fucking seen in Trump's reelection campaign. Like, I don't know what's coming for us. I'm nervous. And this is just the, the moment in time we're capturing this weird, <laughs> weird book before she lost all her marbles. We'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. Becca, thank you so much for joining me. Tell everyone about your podcast. It is so fucking good. It is truly the only podcast that Yasser and I can listen to on road trips. It's you guys. It's what went wrong. That's it. That's the only ones we can both do. And we love it so much. So tell everyone about it. I'm so honored when people who do awesome podcasts think my podcast is awesome. It's such an honor. It's, awesome. it's called Corporate Gossip. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We are like business news for people who love Bravo, people who love gossip. We did like a comparative analysis of Enron and I identified all the Enron characters as their Vanderpump Rules counterparts. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you can find on our podcast that I'm fairly certain you can't find anywhere else. Very true. Also, I loved the Boeing episode because when the Boeing door got ripped off that plane recently in the news, if you listen to Becca's episode, you'll know why. It's amazing. There's so much juicy business news that I think, like, often is not presented in a way that like a normal person who's not in business can understand. And I think that's done on purpose because a lot of times like these companies don't want you to know that stuff. That's so true. That's like kind of my mission is to make it more appealing or appetizing for somebody who's not, you know, an accountant like I am. And so that's why I do it. And you can find me on TikTok at Corporate Gossip Pod or on Instagram at Corporate Gossip Pod. I think that's everywhere you can find me. You guys got to give her a follow, especially the TikToks. They're so good. I love them. We will put it in the show notes so you can just like click. And Becca, thank you so much for doing this. And also, please come back one day. I, I would love to. This was such a blast. I had so much fun. Let's do like Kelly and Conway's book. We'll, we'll do another villain origin story. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much, Chelsea. A huge thank you to our podcast producer, Christina Lopez, our executive producer, Jordan Moncada, our sound engineer, Marcus Hom, and our associate producer, Jaron Padre. 
I also want to give a huge thank you to our incredible partners over at Pattern Brands, Paquetto, Gear, and Yield. They have amazing glassware and candles and tiny spoons. They help us make a stunning tequila cocktail with our other partners at Tenteo Tequila. We will link to all of it in the show notes. Everything is in the show notes that you have heard from this episode. And if you have any more questions, go to the Patreon chat lounge and I will see you there.